0: Well, hey, Northside family, good to be with you again. And so much, thank you so much for taking time to make this a part of your day and allow the Lord to speak to you. Uh, Grateful to be with you. Also grateful for our worship and our tech team who continues just to knock it out of the park week in and week out and grateful to be the church with them. And I cannot wait to be with you guys starting October 17th and 18th. My heart is hungry to rejoin together, to worship, to be uh, together. Mark that down. That is when we are reopening our campus. It is going to be a special, special weekend when we're together. A little under a month now. And uh, we got some things coming up that we'll keep you uh, tuned in on. I, I do want to celebrate some things that are going on. So many of you are continuing to gather together with your life groups, I got a picture actually from one of our life group leaders, Daniel McKinney, and his life group, uh, he sent this to a man, and uh, none of them are standing during worship. So we'll have to talk, no, I'm just joking a little bit, but it's an incredible life group that's made time to gather together. They've brought their kiddos together, and so if you're hosting one of the watch groups, watch parties, I just want to say thanks. Thanks for making this a priority. Thanks for making each other a priority as the church Because God is unstoppable. In the midst of everything that's going on, His Spirit is still moving. And last Sunday night, it was a powerful night of worship out in our parking lot. If you had a chance to be there, it was amazing. Matter of fact, I want to share just briefly some of the stories of people who got baptized as I had an opportunity to baptize over 20 people that day. Uh, Here's a couple of pictures of them. One, we had a father and son who got baptized together. And the scripture says that generation will tell the next generation about God's work. And this is just a picture of God's faith. We got another picture, a love of a family getting baptized together, and then I love this story of one of the guys who came forward to get baptized, and I said, what brought you here? And he said, I just became a dad, and I realized this, that in order for me to be the dad that I need to be, I need to start submitting my life to Jesus and it was just a powerful moment, not just to see his life to be turned over to Jesus, but to say, I want my parenting, I want my fatherhood to be turned over to Jesus. Uh, and then the last story I just wanna share with you is a little girl named Savannah that her parents got to baptize her. And I think Savannah had the biggest cheer block of that time. She had all of her school friends and other family. Matter of fact, her grandpa, Dale, drove down from Michigan and he watches online. So Dale, if you're watching, we're just saying, hey, We love you guys up in Michigan and so glad you had a chance to come down. But God is unstoppable. He is moving in ways that we could only dream of. And this weekend, Serve Day is happening. So we know we've had hundreds and hundreds of you sign up for Serve Day. You guys have done it again. We are packing over 60,000 meals this weekend. And God is saying, hey, come on, join me. I am on the move. I am reaching people. I am sending people. I am meeting needs. Come on with me because I have a greater story for your life than you have for yourself. And that's why we're doing this series called An Unstoppable Force, the DNA of a Dangerous Church, because God has a calling for us. And this is what the more I've studied the book of Acts, that's where we've been walking through. Here's what I've discovered. I've read the book of Acts before. and hey, you know, it's one of my favorite books. But what I've discovered about God as I've looked in the book of Acts is this. A lot of times we're looking for our calling. But what we find in the book of Acts and what we find in the life of Jesus is this. Our calling is actually looking for us. We spend a lot of time asking those big questions. What's my calling in in life? And Jesus says, no, your calling is already calling to you. And last weekend, we began to talk about our calling as we looked at Acts chapter 6, where they were serving the widows and, and they were serving different people. Because what happens is Jesus started bringing together not just the Jewish people, but Jesus came to save all people. And different nationalities were coming together. And there was some racism and some favoritism that was happening. And God said, that's not who I am. And so in Acts chapter 6, they raised up seven men who would begin to be overseers of the daily help for the widows, to distribution of the food, to take care of folks. That's what the church is called to be. It's to be a resource of God, the person and the body of Christ to this world. And we learned last weekend that this that our calling begins with you and I being servants. And this idea of servants isn't just an idea, it's our identity. Because Jesus even says this about our calling. He says in Matthew chapter 20, some of the disciples were arguing about who is the greatest. And he goes, that's not your calling. Your calling isn't to just be about yourself. Your calling is to be a servant. He says this in Matthew chapter 20, verse 26. He says, whoever wants to become great among you must be be your servant. Jesus says that's that's totally fine if you want to be great in life. Matter of fact, Jesus encourages us to be great, but he says here's how you're to be great. You're to be a servant. Our calling is calling to us. It's saying here's what it looks like north side to be the people of God that you and I are servants of God in this world. We are servants. And what we find is God raises up servants and he begins to do new ministry. The only problem is this if you read in Acts chapter 6, Stephen gets raised up to be a servant and people start picking on him. And sometimes it's hard to be a servant when people actually don't appreciate what you're doing. Some of you parents, some of you teachers. Some of you workers in the community, especially in the medical community, you guys are working overtime. You're doing all sorts of stuff. You guys are being great servants, but just because you're a great servant doesn't mean people appreciate it. And what happens in the life of Stephen in Acts chapter 6 is this. People start picking on him because he is a servant of Jesus, and they end up killing Stephen for being a servant of Jesus. The synagogue leaders do. See, in this world that we're at, just because you're a servant doesn't mean people appreciate it. And just because you and I start living out our calling as Jesus followers doesn't mean everything in life is going to go just kind of easy. But what happens is this. God in the midst of that is unstoppable. Even when we feel stopped. Even when we feel persecuted. I love what Mike Tyson says. He says, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. And then your plan kind of goes out the window. And what we find happening in Acts chapter seven and Acts chapter eight today is this, the church got punched in the face. I mean, listen what it literally says in Acts chapter eight, verse one, after they killed Stephen, it says Saul was there giving approval to his death. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Thousands of Christians were kicked out of Jerusalem. They weren't allowed to meet. They weren't allowed to be a Christian there. Only the 12 apostles could remain. And even when they remained, they were silent. Thousands of people got kicked out of their house. Boy, in those moments, you got to be asking the question, God, I'm following you, but where are you? Literally says this, They said, not only did they kick him out and they kind of spread throughout Judea and Samaria said, godly men buried Stephen, mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. The church looked very stoppable. They're kicked out of their city. They're put in prison. Where do we go from there? This is what happens, verse 4. It says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Christians who had been kicked out of their home, kicked out of their city, remembered their calling, and they preached Jesus wherever they went. They, They know their calling. Even when they're suffering and going through hardship, they remember, no, here's my calling. My calling is to tell people about Jesus. And it said, Philip, who was one of the seven along with with Stephen who got raised up, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed Christ there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. And with shrieks and evil spirits came out of many and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city because Philip remembered his calling. There was now great joy in that city despite all the persecution he faced. See, this is why we got to understand our calling. And here's our calling. It's not just that we're called to be servants. If you're writing down notes, you, you, this is, man, we've got to get this ingrained in our mind. We are servants who are sent into this world. We're servants as Christians of Christ, but we are servants who are sent into the world. One of our great temptations right now in the world, because we see all the danger, all the everything that's going on, is to begin to walk away from our calling. Acts calls us back to our calling to go, no, not only you servants, but you are sent. Jesus says this, he goes, I'm not calling you to escape the world. He says, I'm calling you to be in the world, but not of the world, to be in it. To go, to be sent like Philip is to be sent. Now, now, let me say this though. As we read the book of Acts, Acts is descriptive, it's not prescriptive. Meaning this, you're going, Nate, I, I have to leave where I live. I have to move to another town and I have to start casting out demons. Is that what you're saying? Be, be, I, I, you know, I'm not putting my house up for sale. That's not what Acts is saying. Acts is giving you the overview of what the spirit of God was doing because Philip was paying attention to his calling. God is gonna move in different ways and in different means through our life. But what he is saying is this, God is calling you and I to be people who aren't just servants, but to be people who are servants, who are sent into this world. As a church, we're sent. Even when we get to regather in this building, man, we come together to encourage one another, to open God's word, to worship God, to have our hearts be full, to be encouraged. But then here's what we're gonna do. When we, after we gather together, guess what? We're gonna be sent back out of this building to go love and tell people about Jesus. So our mission is to connect unconnected people to Jesus. It's to live the way of Christ. Matter of fact, Isaiah chapter 61, this is the passage that Jesus quoted in his first sermon. He wanted them to know why he came. And listen to what Jesus preaches. He preaches Isaiah 61 because he knew his calling. Listen what his calling is. In Isaiah 61, verse one, it says this. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. See, you know why we care about the poor? Because Jesus does. And then he says this, and he has sent me, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Do you hear the calling that Jesus is saying about why he's come? He's going, hey, if anybody's got a broken heart today, man, I'm here to bind you up. If anybody today is struggling with addiction and you're feeling captive to sin and darkness and despair, he's going, that is why I've come. I was sent to bind up the brokenhearted. I was sent to proclaim good news to the poor, that your status, your poor, the idea that you have nothing. No, with me, you can have everything, even if you have no earthly possessions, you can have everything when you have me. Jesus goes on to tell the disciples this about their calling. See, we are sent as servants into the world. He says this in John chapter 20, after he died and rose again, he reminded the disciples of their calling. Oh, it's good to gather to worship, but hey, remember your calling. You are called to be sent. He says this in John chapter 20, verse 21. It said, again, Jesus said to his disciples, peace be with you. And then listen to what he says. As the father has sent me, so I... I'm sending you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Do you know that your calling isn't just to be a servant? It's to be sent into this world. See, as Christians, it's easy to critique the world, but it's hard to love it. This is why we've got to remember our calling. Because Jesus was sent to rescue us, to bind us up, and then to send us into the world and to bring his love to this world. Matter of fact, Ephesians chapter three, ten. Paul, who he was the guy killing the disciples. He was the one persecuting. He becomes a convert. We're going to talk about that next weekend. Dr. Ephraim Smith's going to be here preaching. You don't want to miss it online next weekend. He's going to close the book of Acts for us in a powerful message. He ran it by me this week. I can't wait for you to hear it. But what happens is Saul becomes Paul because people went after him. Jesus went after him. And then he went after folks and started living his calling. And he says this in Ephesians chapter three, he reminds the church in Ephesus of their calling. And listen what he says. He says this in Ephesians chapter three, verse 10. He says that his intent, God's intent, was that now, listen to this, through the church, through you and I, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Did you know that you are God's way of showing Jesus to the world? Some of you already right now, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Can't you just give me some inspirational stuff? Man, you're making me nervous right now. Nay, I, who am I, man? Yeah, I, I don't have it together. I'm weak. I'm broken. I'm a sinful. I know. God loves and shows his grace and power by using the weak to display his love through the world. You see it all through scripture. He called Abraham, hey, Abraham, just leave. I'm gonna show you what I'm gonna do. He called Moses, Moses, I I can't speak. I've killed a guy. I've done this. I, I, I can't do it. And he goes, I know, I am all that you need. He chooses the Israelite nation. He chooses Mary and Joseph. He chooses the disciples who it says they were unschooled, ordinary men. Because God always chooses the weak to display his love to the world. To display his love to the world. Matter of fact, uh, last year this uh, this movie won a number of awards. It was a movie called 19. 17. And it was a movie about World War I between the British and Germany. And what they wanted to do in this film was show the trench warfare and how dynamic and rough the war was. Because sometimes when you get away from history, you forget the intensity of what was going on. Matter of fact, I got a picture of one of the, uh, the previews of the movie. It, and maybe if you remember this through some of the advertisements. And what was phenomenal about this, this movie was they did a one-shot take for the entire movie because they wanted you to feel the power of the story of this movie, because it was based on a true story. What was happening was not only this character, but there was one other character that was sent on mission. And here was the mission. The British had the German soldiers retreating, but the German soldiers, when they were retreating, set a trap. And the British generals found out about it. And what was happening was this, about 1600 of the British soldiers were about ready to walk into this trap and be slaughtered. And they had no way of communicating with those troops to let them know that a trap was being set for them by the German soldiers. And so the general of the British army decided to select two men to carry this message of life and death to the 1,600 soldiers who were about ready to walk into a trap. And what he did was this. The general picked two men to go tell them. And what he did on purpose was this. He selected the brother who was a soldier to one of the soldiers who was in the 1,600 men who were about ready to be slaughtered. Because what he knew was this. If I tell this brother what's about ready to happen he will run like a man sent with a life and death mission to save his brother. What the general knew is this, I've got to make it personal. And the whole movie is built on these two men getting across enemy lines to deliver this message of life and death to save 1,600 men. We have an older brother who was sent on mission by our heavenly father to come rescue all of his younger brothers and sisters, you and I. See, we've gotta understand our calling when we understand how personal it is for God and Jesus to come and rescue us. And until we understand how personal this is to God and until we understand how much God loves the world. That's why Jesus says, for God so loved the world, so loved, he made it personal and he sent his son. And what happens is the more we understand that Jesus was sent to save us, the more you and I begin to understand our calling is to live out the ways of Jesus, to be people who are sent, that we look around creation. And even if creation and people in cities absolutely reject God, we know this, God has not rejected them. That God is coming after them. See, here's why we're sent. We're sent so people can see Jesus. That's why Philip... Went and he preached the gospel everywhere he went because he knew this, I'm sent so people can see Jesus. Yeah, I don't know if you know the background about Samaria, but when it said he went into Samaria, actually Samaria, Jesus, it was very controversial because during Jesus's ministry, he would go on purpose into Samaria, which were deep, deep enemies, hated the Jews. There was a race war between the Samaritans because they were half Jewish and the Israelites. They hated each other. And yet Philip went sent to give the news and love and grace to his enemies. See, this is what it looks like to be sent by Jesus. We go and we share the love and the grace and the mercy with our enemies. And even if they reject us, we know this, we remember our calling, we're sent. Because this is how the world sees Jesus. This is also why the world gets very confused about Jesus because sometimes they'll look at us as Christians or people who claim they follow Christ, but they go, wow, you claim to follow Christ, but what I see in you isn't Christ. I know Muhammad Gandhi, that was one of his big things. He goes, you're, you're Jesus I like. It's the disciples, the followers of Jesus that are so confusing to me. What Gandhi was saying is that moment, I I read the scriptures and I see Jesus and then I look at the church and I look at people who follow Jesus and they don't match. See, this is why it's so important that we know our calling to be sent into the world because this is how the world sees who Jesus is. This is why Paul calls us as the church, the body of Christ. The body of Christ. What an honor. What a joy. And did did you see what happened when Philip took it? took the message there to the city. It said there was great joy in the city. People came to Christ. Lives changed. What we need to understand about our calling to sent people is this. God has sent us to the many. God has sent us to the many. We need to have a bigger vision of what God has for our life. He has sent us to cities. He, now, now I live in the town of Sellersburg, not really a booming metropolis, but I am sent to Sellersburg. Some of you, you're like, yeah, we're not even a town. My town is a village, you know, Nate, you know, here we are. We get ruled pretty quick around here. Hey, even if you don't live in a city, you are sent to your village. You are sent to your town. You are sent to your city. We are sent, let's just call it to Southern Indiana. We're a regional church trying to reach this region. We are sent to the many. Philip understood that and he went into the city to love the city, to bring light into the darkness. This is why it's so important for us to understand our calling, is he steps into this. Matter of fact, Jesus prays for cities. Matthew chapter 23, the city of Jerusalem had his heart. He loved that city. He wanted to see that city begin to follow him because he was the one who would rescue them out of their darkness. To bind up their broken hearts, to set the captives free. Listen to what he says, and right before he dies in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, he says, Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Jesus' heart broke over cities. Jesus' heart longed to see cities reconnected to God. I began to ask myself this question. I don't know if it was just my own reflection or maybe the Spirit was speaking to me. It was probably the Spirit speaking to me. But I felt this impression as I read that prayer about Jesus. Nate, when was the last time you prayed for your city? Not when was the last time you complained about your city? Man, when are they going to fix these potholes? Man, when are they going to widen these lanes? Man, when are we going to get some better restaurants in this town? We can complain. But when will we pray for our cities? What I'm realizing in my own life is this. I need to spend a whole lot more time praying for my city. God is passionate about reaching cities. God sent Philip, powered by the Holy Spirit, into a city in Samaria. See, this is how we're an unstoppable force. We understand God's heart is for all cities. God is calling us into the city as Christians. He is calling us in to be salt and light. Sometimes we step back and go, man, they need to get their act together. God never asked cities to get their act together. What he said is this, church, will you be sent to be my people? Then and only then will their lives be changed. Matter of fact, I love this. in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse seven, when Israel was carried off into captivity into Babylon, we, we, a lot of times in Jeremiah chapter 29, we, we run right to verse 11 for, "I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, I, I know that." But, but before that, we need to read up in verse five and in verse seven, and what's powerful is this. In verse seven, this is what he tells the Israelites. He goes, "I know you're in captivity, but listen to what he says. He says, as you are in captivity, he said, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. I know I've carried you into into foreign territory because you guys have disobeyed me, but seek the peace and the prosperity of the city. And then he says this, pray to the Lord for it. Pray to the Lord for the city, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And he tells them before that in verse five, he says, plant gardens and vineyards, have children, get married, begin to put down roots. He's going, this is how communities change is that the church put down roots and then my life and grace flow out of it. So let me give you permission. Coach that little league team. Get on the PTO, run for school board. Begin to do things, partner with good initiatives in the city, help the hurting, step out into this, go as sent people into your village, town, city, region, nation, because the church is a church that is sent. We're servants that are sent. And what happened was this, when Philip went in and he preached the good news of Jesus to the many, they gave their lives to Jesus. And in a place where there was no joy, it said, Now the city had great joy. Man, I got to spend more time praying for our city. I got to spend more time getting my mind right because what I found is this it's possible to love the city, but not the people in it. It's possible for us to love the cities that were around. You go, What do you mean? I can't wait to take my kids up to Huber's, hopefully in the next week or two. I got my flannel on. Today's, it's a cool day, right? The weather's changing. I love it. We go and we go and we buy the best biggest stinking pumpkin we can find out in the pumpkin patch. We ride the wagon back. It's a whole great experience. I lose my mind on the fried biscuits and apple butter. You know, whole oh mind. They put, you know, all like powdered sugar on there like it needs it, but I put more on there. And, you know, I just lose my mind and I love all the experiences. And here's what happened. I'll begin to consume everything that is in the city. But I'll not care about the city. As Christians... We're sent not just to consume what's in the city, but to care about the people in our cities, in our town. See, what we find here in this passage in Acts chapter 8 is this. We're called and sent to the many. We're also sent to the one. We're sent to the one. Listen what happens right after that. In verse 9, it says this. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great and all the people both high and low gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is the divine power known as the great power. He had this darkness with him that he had this power that people were in awe of. And it said they followed him because he was amazed. He amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. See, Philip was sent to the many, and then God brings the one to him. This is what will happen to us as Christians. We need to have a heart for our city. We need to love our area. We need to pray for our area. And then we need to look out for the one. We need to look out for those that God's gonna bring in our path. We need to be people who know the names that God brings in and care. And to know that the kingdom isn't just this big, you know, kind of thing that's not personal. Yes, the kingdom of God is very big and grace is amazing for everybody, but it's very personal. And you see that because this man, Simon, who was full of, he practiced dark, you know, witchcraft. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We also believe in the power of darkness as Christians. There's a spiritual realm that is battling all around us. He believed in that. And then when he heard about Christ, his life changed. See, this is why we're sent. We're sent to rescue people from the kingdom of darkness. That's what Jesus has done for us. And you see this amazing story take place. And then the disciples even come over. It says that that Peter and John, they come over to see about all this because now the towns are coming to Christ. Unbelievable things are happening. But what they found out is this, the people haven't received the Holy Spirit. They they understand that Jesus is now their Lord. They're following Jesus, but they haven't followed the Holy Spirit or received the Holy Spirit yet. So they they lay hands on them. They receive the Holy Spirit to live out their calling as sent servants. And listen what happens after this. It says this in verse 18, when there's this powerful display of the Holy Spirit, it says, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me this also, this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. He was like, that was a cool magic trick, right? You know, you you put your hands on the Holy Spirit came. He's like, I practice magic as well. You know, I want to pay for that power. Can you give me that power? Listen to what Peter tells him. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. Literally, the translation is, may your money burn in hell with you because you think you can buy God off like that. Woo! Peter, whoa, hey. But listen to why he's saying that. He says, you have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Do you see why we're sent? The world's full of darkness. It's captive to sin. And here's the thing. The world doesn't even know it. Why would they know it? How would they know it? Simon doesn't know it. There's parts of us as followers of Christ that even when we become a follower, there's things that we're still learning and God is still growing and transforming in us. That's part of the maturing in Christ that when we get baptized, we don't even understand everything. We understand who Christ is, what he's done for us. And now we're following him and we have received the Holy Spirit. And listen what Simon's response is. In verse 24, it said, Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Simon hears about this because Peter and John are, are sent and they're helping him grow in this. And he goes, whoa, I didn't even know that's wrong to try to buy off the Holy Spirit. Hey, pray that God doesn't reject me. And he's going, I want to receive this spirit. I want to live in my calling. Would you help me? And what's amazing is this, they do. See, this is why it's so important. understand our calling because there's people walking around all over the place that have no idea that they're lost like Simon. And Jesus is saying, I'm sending you. I'm sending you to the many. We need to have a heart for our city. I'm also sending you to the one. See, we don't change people, but we are sent to people. To bring the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. You know, my biggest, one of my biggest ministry regrets is when I forgot my calling. I was a student minister over in Illinois. And uh, there was a student, he was a senior. And I was just fresh out of Bible college. And uh, his name was Nick. And when I became the youth minister, I had a chance to kind of get to know some of the kids and you know, you could tell some of the kids that were there and you could tell, man, nobody really liked to hang out with them. They didn't really have a lot of friends. And for me, those were the people who were really easy to love and come around and, hey, man, let me, let me make you feel welcome. Let me let you know about the love of Christ. And then I remember seeing Nick when I first started there. And I saw him and actually I saw him out in the parking lot and I won't lie, here I am the minister and I became a little bit jealous of Nick because I'm in a, uh, an amazing 2002 Forest Green Honda Civic, all right? Just, a, just an amazing ride. Nick pulls up in a brand new Jeep Rubicon. Turns out Nick's parents had a little bit of money had a chance to go over to their house. They had this Italian villa house that was on a lake and it had a movie room and all this other stuff. And as soon as I saw Nick, I went, well, he's fine. He doesn't need anything because he's got everything. And it wasn't until that summer when we were at church camp, Nick had a moment where God got a hold of him and he just confessed all sorts of problems in his life. And I literally had tears in my eyes because what I forgot was this I was sent to Nick but I didn't go to Nick I didn't even share Christ with Nick what I thought was because he's a person of means well that means he has everything he needs and what I realized reading this story was this I was just like Simon. I believed that money without even saying it, but somehow money means everything's all right. See, this is why we need the grace and mercy of Jesus. It was an embarrassing moment here at church camp to have the youth minister have to apologize to one of the kids for not obeying God's calling on my life. We are servants who are sent to the poor, to the middle class, to people of means, to places that are our enemy, to our hometowns, to our work, to our ball fields. We're sent. And what's so amazing about this journey of Christ is this. God will bring people into our life that we didn't see coming. But what he's saying is this, church family, I'm sending you to them. Would you tell them about Jesus? Would you tell them? Did you hear Simon's response? Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. He didn't know money meant everything to him. And it was Peter who began to open his eyes to who Jesus is. What's our challenge today? What's God calling us to do today? Here's what he's calling us to do. He's calling us to surrender to being sent. To surrender to being sent. We are servants who are sent into the world. Not to those who we think just need Jesus, but to those that God is putting on our heart. Philip didn't go to Samaria looking for Simon, but God was already looking for Simon. I didn't go to Illinois looking for Nick. God was already looking for Nick. What he was asking me to do was, Nate, will you just be sent to where I'm calling you to go? Northside, will you and I embrace our calling today? Surrender our calling to go, God, whoever, wherever, not by my power, but by your Holy Spirit. See, Philip was surrendered to his calling. Okay, God, we're getting kicked out of Jerusalem. They're destroying the church. I'm going to go preach the gospel to Samaria. Is that where you're calling me? Simon, okay, God, you need me to give up money as my idol and everything in my life. I'm going to surrender that so I can embrace your calling on my life. See, this is the heart of Jesus. That he was the older brother who left heaven and was sent to rescue us. This is why we can live our calling, because Jesus was faithful to his calling. Matter of fact, let me read for you first John chapter four before we take communion here in a moment. This is Jesus' best friends later, best friend John, later on in his life. He writes to the church. And he writes to encourage them and remind them of their calling. And he says this to him: he says, We know that we live in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. We know that we live in him and we have seen and we testify that the father, here it is, has sent his son to be the savior of the world. John said, I saw Jesus, I've seen the one who sent. And then he says this, and if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us because God is Love. God is for us. God has sent His Son so we can have life, so we can know our calling, so this world can know its Heavenly Father. And right now, during this time of communion where you take the bread and the juice, let it be a time of surrender again, saying, Heavenly Father, I trust you in my life. I might be scared about where you're sending me, God, but you're with me. Jesus, you love me and you hold me together. And so right now, let's take the bread and and the juice and remember the one who was sent, who's come to bind up the brokenhearted, and it sets the captives free. Let's take time and pray right now and allow him to love us because of what he's done on the cross, taking away our sins and sending us into the world. Let's take time and reflect and surrender to Christ right now. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us a greater story in our life that Father, we don't see the world like you see the world. God, we don't even see ourselves like you see us. And so in this moment, because of Jesus, because of his grace, because of his mercy, Father, we ask that by your power and by the power of your Holy Spirit, our eyes would be open and our hearts would be changed. And God, the way we think, about the world, the way we think about our calling. Father, the way that, you, that we think about the church would be the way that you think. Jesus, we thank you for being our older brother who comes after us when we're stuck in our sin and we have no way out, you rescue us. And Holy Spirit, we pray in this moment, this week, today, that we would listen to you. That we would allow your voice in our life to be greater than our voice. That your thoughts would be greater on our mind than our thoughts. And Jesus, as a church family, we would simply be the church that you've called us to be. Lord, in this moment, We don't want to just talk about praying for our city right now. We want to pray for our city. Matter of fact, I want to give you just a moment right now as you're watching this. Just pray for your city right now. Pray for your town. Pray for the leaders in your town, your neighbors. Holy Spirit, we want to see you move in power through us. Through imperfect people, but Father, through your boldness and your courage, telling people about you, pointing people to you. Father, would we obey your promptings? God, would we have a heart to put down roots, to love our cities, to invest in our cities, to mourn, to weep, help Father we pray that this is serve day weekend but Lord would it not just be a weekend would it be so much more would it be a way of life God help us to experience your freedom and your calling this is not a burden but this is where your joy comes in so Jesus we pray all these things we lift up our cities to you we lift up our church family to you This is your church, we are your servants. Send us out in your power today. And it's in your name that we pray, Jesus. And all of us said online together, amen. May you live your calling well today, church family. We'll see you next weekend as Dr. Ephraim Smith will bring the word.